sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week. Julie Linzer is joining us again. This time we are not talking about Captain America though. We are going to be discussing the first season of Netflix's Mindhunter. Julie, how are you doing today? Good, good. Good, excited to talk about something else. <laughs> how are you? I am doing pretty well. I am very excited to be talking about this as well because it was one of those shows where it started off a little slow, but as soon as you kind of get past that first episode or two, it's like things really start to heat up and you really get a good understanding of what they're going for with this. But before we dive into the general story and everything, I do want to talk about the casting because I think that's something that was really key to nailing this show. Oh, yeah. I, in fact, it's in, it's been really interesting because... Right before I started watching it, I had double checked who was in it um, because, you know, Jonathan Groff is pretty prolific, especially because of his time in Hamilton and stuff like that. He was, you know, Sven and Frozen. And he, um, but as far as like non like musical related acting, I mean, it wouldn't even count like, you know, he was in Glee for a little bit, but that wasn't, that was still kind of like musical related. I was really curious to see what kind of like tone this would hit because mm -hmm. it really demonstrated some of his acting ability that went beyond just, you know, the stage and stuff like that. And um, what was interesting is I was reading a bunch of stuff and some people thought it like it landed really, really well. And some people were like, no, he was like totally miscast. And I found that that was really, really interesting because he kind of was a draw for me as aside from the overall context of the show and his, you know, I, I mean, to me, I, I think he was perfect. I think he, he really, he towed that line of, you know, over eager, you know, new FBI agent to, you know, the, someone who kind of does go a little bit too far. And that first episode, it's interesting because it's, it really is, it's really slow and you have no idea what's going on. And the only good thing about it is that end sequence, because it shocks you, it surprises you. You're just totally taken off guard and once you get past that you're like okay there's a, there's a story here and and I feel like they they knew what they were doing they used him to introduce the whole point of the show and I I feel like for the people it didn't land for I guess that's partially why they didn't like it but I think that they they kind of they missed they missed the point they missed the point of his whole t you know casting that that he could handle it he yeah and the funny thing is he didn't carry the show by any means in fact I would argue that um you know the actor who played you know Bill did that because mm -hmm. um, once he was introduced it became really interesting um, but th there were so many sub players too that you don't think are important. It's totally random, but my favorite thing is that Netflix, you know, they there's like random little like Netflix staple actors in throughout the series. Okay. And one of them, she's an actress who has been on uh 
Orange is the New Black, and she plays like a totally different character in this, and she she's one of the serial killer's mothers, and you meet her, and I was totally like taken out of it for half a second because I was like, is that blah blah blah? I'm so confused. <laughs> so it's funny that like Netflix kind of like they they play that game a little bit where it's like, oh okay, well we have this person, they can play a bit part, you know. But I think that they did it. I'm glad that, you know, they they had David Fincher as the, you know, the big name behind it. So yeah. I'm glad that they kind of went a little bit more low key. I think it worked. I think it worked uh, for everything, for the whole story, for, you know, um, even, you know, even Debbie, you know, she she borderline played a minor role, especially because her introduction and everything was a little bit awkward everyone you know they they were everyone was so interesting to watch but you really you could tell you know where the important characters were based on what material they were being given and I thought that that was I thought it was done very 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 well the casting rarely sometimes you watch something and you just you're just like okay I can get past it it doesn't work, but I can get past it. This could have gone so wrong, so fast, in so many different ways. And I think that they really did a really, really good job, especially with the um, the, the actors who played the serial killers. I mean, they can't, I, I hope they had like therapy dogs on set or something like <laughs> they did for 13 Reasons Why, because they, I just, it, I cannot imagine sitting, you know, day in and day out filming and, and, Fincher does like scene after scene after scene after scene until you know they get it right until it looks right until it looks exactly like they like he wants it to and he only directed four out of the ten episodes but I I can't I can't imagine what it must have been like to just you know to be that person and and I mean you've seen the pictures too the the actor who played Ed Kemper he looked exactly like him yeah they did a really great job with finding actors who could fairly easily resemble these killers and obviously you know hair and makeup teams and all of that have to do their part to make that come to life on the show and everything but for me personally I didn't know too many of the actors or actresses in this I know you mentioned the woman from Orange is the New Black who I instantly recognized too and I was like oh hey there she is (laughs) and really out of the main actors though I only knew who Holt McCallany was who plays Bill Tench because he had done a stint in I want to say it was CSI Miami or something way back when I was actually like watching those and those were still on and Jonathan Groff has been in a lot of things they just haven't been things I've happened to have seen and not being a big, you know, like Lee Broadway frozen person, I was like, oh, right. okay, he was in those things. And, you know, that's why I don't really know who he is. And then you have Anna Torv, who plays Wendy Carr, the woman who starts working with them. And apparently people keep getting her confused with Carrie Coon because I've been seeing this everywhere. She looks exactly like her. And what's funny is Carrie Coon was in Gone Girl, which is another Fincher movie. But when she first, she also sounds like her, which is funny because she's actually Australian, I think. So when (laughs) she actually talks, she sounds nothing like her. But when, there's something about the way that, I I chalked it up to there was something about the way she was filmed. Because I looked at other like stuff online and she doesn't really look like her. 
but there's something about the way that they both like they the way they speak that's so similar that yeah for like half a second I was like Carrie Coon is in this oh my god yay like it was and then and then afterward when I realized it was Anna Torp I was like that's still cool but also like it would have been really great if <laughs> Carrie Coon was in this and I thought that that was really funny I didn't know that everyone else was thinking that because yeah. I felt like I don't usually do that with actors I saw something the other day where Carrie Coon had put in her Twitter bio, not the actress on Mindhunter. Oh, that's <laughs> and I just so got a huge funny. kick out of that. Because personally, I didn't make that connection at all. And I don't know if it's because I've more recently watched Carrie Coon, both when I started watching The Leftovers and then while I was watching Fargo somewhat recently. So I had seen so much of her that when I saw this lady, to me, I already knew it wasn't Carrie Coon or I didn't even have that thought in general but I do want to also note that only three characters are listed in all 10 episodes for this season which I think helps give them a good variety as well because Wendy didn't come in right away she came in a couple episodes into the season but you have Holden Bill and Debbie who are your sort of stable characters throughout all of the episodes and then like you said Ed Kemper, who was played by Cameron Britton, I'm hope I hope I'm saying that last name correctly, but he was only in three episodes, so they have an opportunity to sort of keep bringing these characters back if need be, because they didn't overuse them in this first season. No, in fact, what was interesting was so so much of those you know the recordings of these serial killers played such a major role, but really we spent a lot of time outside the jail in fact while most of the series feels like it takes place there it it doesn't which is what makes the whole there they and I, I i talked about this a little bit in an article i wrote but there for me the series was really really interesting cuz they drew on a lot of like communication theories and stuff like that and uh, the people that they were talking about Everyone was real. So uh, they reference Groffman at some point who uh, wrote a whole thing about front space and backspace and the, the person you are in, you know, in public and in front of your family. And, you know, basically the idea is that you, you wear different hats depending on how you're supposed to behave. Um, depending on where you are. And so, you know, it's that scene where Debbie says, you know, if you could wear anything, what would you wear? And he said, I'd, I'd wear my suit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, and and so they they did a lot of that. And I think that it played really well into the actual settings of the um, series, which were in some ways their own kind of, like, character. I, I will never get over the 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 big title thing. Yeah. I don't know what's yeah. with that. I don't know what's with that aesthetic. We can talk about it again when we, when we do Civil War because I don't know why they all of these things keep doing that. It's weird. But um especially like the uh the Park City Kansas stuff, um it became its own like its its own entity. You knew when you were going to see that location that, you know, something something was off. It was going to give you the creeps, you know. And I, I think that that added a real, you know, a real element to it that uh, helped them not have to use all of their characters at once, you know, um, especially because the series started talking about, you know, Charles Manson and Bill even mentioned that they have like an interview scheduled with him. 
And right. I feel like at one point early on, you were like, oh, when's that going to happen? Because that's the guy I know. And then you didn't care because you there were there was so there was so much to learn just, you know, um, just in general. I mean, we'll definitely get to it. But watching, you know, Bill and, and Holden handle things so differently and, and Wendy to an extent, she wasn't allowed to go to the actual, you know, interviews, which right. made sense. She's not like an actual FBI agent. So, you know, but she, you know, watching how everyone, you know, received the, the information and then used it in their real life, you know, was, was, it was incredible. And I think that that's why it's funny to think that, um, that the, uh, that Kemper was only in three episodes because he was so, pervasive on the whole series plus he was mentioned throughout without them having to go see him so it's like he was a staple for the season but we didn't need to keep seeing them go in and interview him necessarily to have him have a certain effect and even the last time we see him he's not in his cell or anything you know he's in the hospital and I do want to move on here to the setting stuff before mm-hmm. we really dive into the story and everything because I think you and I are both in agreement that the cast was really well done and I think they nailed it and how they wrote the characters as well but for the setting I feel like even though it's something that is a lot more subtle considering the topic that they are covering here It's something that just makes the show so much better because you look at the interiors of not only the office buildings, but the houses that they go into Mm -hmm. and you see, you know, the cloth couches and all the browns and yellows and orange of the 70s that, you know, people would highly frown upon today if your house was covered in (laughs) brown, orange and yellow materials and everything like that. And, you know, even the way they dress, you see bill in his you know golf pants pretty much which are like the plaid pants and they just nailed everything so well that it really adds to the enjoyability of the show despite you know the topic the subject matter because the subject matter isn't really something that I think people should enjoy necessarily but it's it's just one of those things where People are always going to be fascinated with serial killers and murder, and that's why those things sort of top the headlines for the news whenever you turn the news on. There was a tweet, and I wish I could remember who who said it, but it was really funny. It was shortly after I finished the series, and the tweet was like, if I ever get captured by a serial killer, please know that I died learning, doing what I love, learning about serial killers. And the accuracy of it was, like, really, really funny because, yeah, there's something very... there's a it 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 borderline for me on a a sense of like voyeurism like why do we want to know the way these people think you know why would we want to get inside their brain kind of thing um and to the setting point there's there's an old meme fincher has a habit of like i don't know not using lights he (laughs) he like relied i don't know he i don't know if he relies on natural i don't know what the process is there I know, like, minimal amount of filming, but, like, the little bit that I know, like, you know, but David Fincher is one of my favorite directors, but he, he, like, for whatever reason, every scene is so 
dark. And there's yeah. an old meme and it's like, I can't see anything. And he's like, good, because <laughs> that's like, I guess it's like part of the point. But what I found really interesting is there's a lot of scenes that are really, really well lit in this series. And that played into what was happening with the characters really, really well. He wasn't using the light like, oh, it should be dark because there's like a darkness happening. He was using it like very organically and very naturally. The, the one scene that sticks out obviously is the very end when Holden is running away. It's, it's super bright. It's fluorescent. And, and if, but what's happening is, is super dark and, and yeah. creepy. And, um, I found that that worked equally well with, um, well, we'll just call him the BTK killer um, because the, the, or the BKT killer, whatever he is, the Park it's City BTK, Kansas guy. It's BTK, yeah. Yeah, it's BTK. He, um, uh, yeah, it's like Dennis Radar is his name or something like that. He, um, those scenes also, they were really, really well lit. Like you could see everything he was doing. You could, you know, every, everything in those scenes were so particular. Um in fact, a lot of them happened during the day, which was what was so interesting about that very last one. Um, because we saw him at work, we saw him, you know, in people's houses. Um, and it was, you know, the, the, the way the show was shot, along with the, the way they used the, the, the scenery and everything like that, worked so, so well. And it's funny because in the overall series, the like places they visited completely blend together to me. Um, with the exception of like, I guess the school that was nearby and stuff like that, but everything right. else, like I, I don't have like a, you know, off the top of my head, like, Oh, they went to this place because that's, you know, who was there. Um, or any of the cases that they helped solve for other police departments, like they, they kind of all sort of like blended together. But even that was interesting, seeing how different police departments operated um, and how some were like okay with their help and stuff like that. They, they really, they, they gave a, a very broad um, illustration of the, the you know, why this work was so important and to the the um the kansas city stuff apparently like some of that case wasn't completely solved until like the early 2000s so when you look at some of this stuff and how it still applies you know not just what they learned but like the people they found and stopped and stuff like that it it's it's it may it gives it a very real world element that is super super creepy um and i think it made the watching of the 10 episodes really 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 intriguing yeah one other thing i want to note about the setting would be the cars because most oh, yeah. people when you think of people having older cars you're thinking you know like the 50s and 60s the bel airs the mustangs and i did notice that they drove a mustang in this and it was so ugly i remember my oh, mom yeah. was like wait are, what <laughs> i didn't see that and i like took the remote and i went back you know 10 20 seconds and i paused i was like well that looks like the little mustang horse there so i think you know the 70s and 80s were just a very bad time for the mustang <laughs> and yes it's one of those things where you have you know, you either have like these small little Pintos or you have these big giant boat cars. And, you know, we see Bill and Holden get in an accident 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, the car T-bones them, basically, and hardly anything happens to either of them because, you know, cars were so gigantic and actually made out of steel back then, not the plastic stuff that they're made out of now. So it was just interesting how they got such small details like that, right, too, because you could tell they didn't just go, like, manufacture cars with plastic and make them look like 70s cars. It's like they actually yeah. went out and got a ton. Where they found these cars, I don't know. But There's they got a lot. Them. <laughs> a bunch of, I, I don't know what the, some of the, some of the Netflix shows have, like, production companies that are, like, like, um, like I know some of them are like run by like Paramount and stuff yeah. and all of these studios, they have their own like vintage car lot and they're just always adding to the collection because, you know, they, they'll like destroy a car and stuff like that. So they have like multiple of these. So they probably just, you know, they probably went to LA and they were like, so we need this, this, and this, and you know, whatever studio they were working with probably hooked them up. But what was interesting about the, the, um, car crashes it sounded like two tanks hitting each other yeah <laughs> like it really it was terrifying and then they were fine so you were like oh okay I'm okay everyone's okay but yeah it's it, it sounded like what those cars sound like when they hit each other you know I also thought the movie theater experience was interesting for the setting yeah um you know it they well Holden was really really intrigued but it was just it was interesting seeing how you know people were like just just watching the movie back then you know a lot of people clearly didn't like it that was what was interesting and <laughs> but also just the 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 overall like the I mean look at movie theaters now you know you recline you don't <laughs> you don't like for the most part it's this, it's become this like you know living room experience whereas like it was like a an outing then you know it was a it it was more theatrical, I would say, which I think that's what part of the show had too. It had a, a very high, you know, it, there, there was something about, I could see this, you know, there were some episodes that were borderline cinematic for sure. Exactly. Plus the theater thing, you know, now we have theaters where they will literally serve you dinner. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't like that because I'm like, I'm here to watch a movie. I'm not here to eat a full-on meal. If I want that, I'll go to a restaurant before or after the movie or something. And, you know, then you have people coming in as people are ordering stuff, too. And I'm just like, okay, this is a little annoying, if you ask me, because it's like, even though the screen is so big in the theater, you can still, out of the corner of your eyes, see people oh, yeah. coming in and out of the theater throughout the movie. And to me, I just find that, you know another distraction and with cell phones it's like it, people are already distracted enough at the movies and I think they definitely nailed a lot of the more minor scenes mm -hmm. in this too but are there any other setting things that you want to bring up or do you want to dive on into the story oh let's go into the story it's the best part <laughs> yeah so we've already mentioned you know, Ed Kemper being one of the first guys that they go to visit in jail, and he's only in three episodes, but he's a staple throughout it. And then you have Jerry Brudos, who is the killer who is obsessed with the high heels and everything. Right. And we see how these killers are affecting both Holden and Bill differently because, you know, 
Bill really has a lot more going on at home than Holden does because of the problem he's it I wouldn't necessarily call it a problem but you know they're having some difficulty with their son because he won't talk to them and he's sort of just really closed off and they don't know why he's that way if it's their fault so you know Bill is someone who's pretty hard on himself meanwhile you have Holden who is completely enthralled with these killers that they're talking to whereas Bill seems like he's more so there to keep holding in check some of the time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it's just interesting how they play their two very different personalities against each other because Bill sort of just really wants the information, kind of wants to get out of there. He doesn't want to spend all day with a serial killer. And we do see that it takes them a while to build up to that terminology as well. And I think that was a huge part of the season too because they are really sort of just starting to figure this out it's not something like criminal minds where all of this has already been figured out they have their own you know section of the fbi and it's way bigger than what you know bill and holden have with themselves and wendy and later on with greg who comes in right oh greg <laughs> uh, um yeah no the what was interesting also was so bill bill had a lot of accountability he, yeah he, you know, and and Nancy, his wife, she was super fascinating to me because Bill came across as someone who wasn't super, like, progressive and stuff like that. And when they have that conversation, um, when it's just the two of them, which is really the only scene of just the two of them that we really, like, we see... It was really interesting that she, you know, first of all, you totally get where Nancy's coming from that like, you know, and you get where Bill's coming from that he doesn't want to share with her. He doesn't want to like inundate her with, you know, what he's doing at work because it's horrible and it's right. awful and he just wants to come home and not deal with it. But Nancy, on for her part, is like, you don't talk to me. You never talk to me. And and that was where some of, I thought that was interesting that that was where they seemed to conclude where some of the issues with their son were coming from. But what was so interesting interesting about that scene is it started off with his like oh no 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 he doesn't need a psychologist and then Nancy was like well maybe you do and like it it you would think you know especially with what Bill does being in the you know behavioral science department he was semi-adverse to it and at first you were like well why he understands that psychology is like a legitimate thing and you know people do need to you know vent and stuff like that but it was it wasn't that he wasn't he wasn't so closed off from it it was coming from his own fears and weakness and frustration and it was interesting watching that come out that you know it wasn't it wasn't that he was afraid of it he wanted he he just didn't understand why they couldn't reach their son themselves and and then of course you know finding out that you know he had been in in his office and you know everything really brought a lot of that to light whereas holden had had no accountability debbie first of all debbie didn't care she couldn't give a crap where he was or what he was doing um and in the sense that she was, you know, her own woman kind of thing. Not that she, like, didn't didn't care. Right. But, you know, when she was studying, he was bothering her. And, um, you know, I, I have a... Debbie's an interesting character because I think that... I kind of feel like she was kind of, like, shoehorned in there. Like, oh, well, let's give Holden something to do when he's not dealing with serial killers. Because she kind of... There was a lot of... In her scenes in particular, there was a lot of, uh, like 
telling, not showing kind of thing. Right. But you needed the juxtaposition because you saw that for all of the difficulty that Bill and Nancy had in their own, you know, marriage and stuff like that, they they had a they there was a legit thing there. Whereas there was always the potential that Holden and Debbie weren't gonna work out. In fact, I was surprised that he took her back after the whole cheating thing, yeah. um, which kind of lends to the whole, like, I feel like she was just, she was like in there for that very last scene where he profiles her. But Holden, Holden's lack of accountability is really, it's what gets him, get, it's what gets him into a hundred percent of trouble. And what was interesting about the serial killer thing I wanted to know is that, you know, that that's the major like crux of the series that they're going to come up with this word. But I loved how like flippantly it was like, Oh, serial killer. And then he says it to the FBI director and they're like, what's that? And he was like, we're trying out a new word, a new term. And it was so funny to see because you don't think of it like that. We have never not, you know, especially like for us, we didn't grow up in the seven. Like we've never not known that word. Yeah. You know? And at first they had it as like sequence killer or something that just sounded so off. I was like, yeah, I don't like that. Well, it was kind of like, it was like, oh, they're getting closer. But yeah. Like, they, that wouldn't work on the news. That doesn't sound as good. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that's what was interesting. It was like, and what was funny is when I was watching it, especially because Netflix's own description of it is that they come up with the term, you don't, you're wondering who's going to say it. And I thought that it was really interesting that they chose Bill. Yeah. Um, I feel like that said a lot about like the headspace you were supposed to be in when watching the series you're supposed to you know you're supposed to kind of like be siding with like Wendy and Bill not Greg he's awful Uh, (laughs) he's just he's just so self-righteous and it just doesn't make sense to me but what I found what was also interesting is that Holden's lack of accountability played into um Wendy did a really good job of trying to like make Holden understand that what they were doing, that's why like she wanted the survey, which I get didn't work. It doesn't, it didn't, it alienated them to these, these men, but there, there's that scene with Brutos that they, she accuses them of uh, coercion. And I feel like that came up again also at the end when they used the whole like setting of the, the rock and all of that stuff. And, and I, what I found interesting about Wendy in those scenes is she points out to Holden, she was like, we've only interviewed like four men or three right. men, something like that. And she's like, that's not, that's a small sample size. There's the, everything they were learning, Holden was using it as fact. And it wasn't fact yet. It wasn't, it, you can't, you, you can make broad judgments. You can build a profile, but you can't all of a sudden assume that all of these people are the same. You know, which is what made the whole thing with the school principal really interesting. Because he, uh, well, I would argue that he did the right thing there. But everyone else was kind of mad at him. Um, Which I thought was also interesting because look at what they deal with. They know what these people, how these people start. Right. For Holden, too, he became very self-absorbed pretty quickly. Because, you know... When he first meets Debbie, he's sort of just kind of like this goofy FBI agent that doesn't really know so how to talk nerdy. to her. And <laughs> then, you know, as they start working on this project and he starts 
talking to Ed Kemper and Brudos and going to the police stations to teach them about these types of killers, you can see him get so inside himself and inside Mm -hmm. these killers that he sort of blocks out everything else going on around him. And I think that's in part why Debbie does what she does, because all Holden seems to care about is talking about his job, what he's doing, and doesn't care that she needs to study or that she has something else to do. And, you know, he was getting all... He takes no interest in her unless she can be a sounding board for him, which, again, is why I kind of felt like her character was shoehorned in, because they start out that way. You know, that's part of Holden's problem. He doesn't seem to understand that, like, Wendy is a person. And I feel like that worked really well, though, because I know a lot of people were really confused by the ending, especially if you don't have necessarily the background of, like, you know, what you were watching in, you know, Park City, Kansas and stuff like that. Um, Or even the, uh, I think his name is... um, something the the guy who like holden is based off of the he's a real fbi agent yeah um yeah it's john something i feel like with that in mind they kind of used wendy was more of a tool than like a person but you mean debbie yeah debbie not wendy wendy was perfect (laughs) um yeah yeah, no (laughs) debbie well, Wendy, had, there actually were some issues with Wendy. Yeah. Holden kind of ignores everyone at some point. So, you know, it's like a lot of these people are just here to service Holden's character, right. it seems. Even Bill and Wendy. Right. Well, Deb, Well, that was what was interesting. See, when Bill needed a break, he took it. He was like, no, I'm not going to the interview today. And you shouldn't either. And, yeah. you know, Holden was like, well, I am, you know, and... His obstinance to, I mean, he was warned by multiple people that this was, like, affecting him. And I feel like the person he should have listened to was Debbie. And he wasn't. He was ignoring her. Which is why it didn't surprise me that she cheated. It surprised me that they bothered to get back together after the fact. She knew what he was about. She knew he was having issues. That was what was so interesting. And I feel like that's part of what confused everyone for the ending. Because you have him profiling her, you have him being, you know, I mean, you're the the series ends and it looks like, you know, he's gonna get kicked out of the FBI and you know, all of this stuff. Thanks, Greg. Um, You know, what was interesting is that everyone the the show operated on motives. You know, what was what was Holden's motive? His motive was to start catching these people to, you know, that, that whole mystery from the first, uh, no, the second episode. Um, yeah, the second episode with the, the woman and her son that um, <coughs> Bill ends up figuring out uh, the knots were, like, nautical. Yeah. That whole thing is still unsolved. That's the thing. But that's why, that was what was interesting about the teacher Holden at that point was so self-righteous that he, or actually the principal, that he, they, they did their due diligence, you know, they interviewed the families and all of that because he was trying to make a point. And so at that point he was doing things right, which is what was so interesting watching him sort of shift to being like, well, I can manipulate the situation, which is why Wendy's accusation of coercion is so interesting because it's like, well, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, did the, the the confession they get out of the guy, the last guy, 
was it legitimate or did the scene just manipulate it to be that way? And that's what made Holden so dangerous and, but, but so fascinating, which is also what made his whole arc even more interesting. I mean, when Ed Kemper got down from the hospital bed, it was terrifying terrifying because we've never we've never seen him like that you know we've only seen him as the like oh the guards like me I'm a nice guy even though I'm like a horrible person (laughs) um which barely even cuts the surface of it um you know and and he threatens Holden I, I I that scene worked so well on so many different levels because it finally made Holden see exactly what he what he wasn't dealing with anything he mm-hmm. you know he was like he was like Bill's son you know the the picture was under the bed and it was upsetting him but he didn't know how to talk about it right plus you see just how these killers are affecting Holden on even a small scale because you have him talking to Brutos and giving him the pair of shoes and then you later have Holden so focused on the shoes the heels that Debbie is wearing when they're in her apartment or his apartment Mm -hmm. I don't recall whose but it was one of those moments where you could see just how inside his head the killers were getting too because then he was just you know like completely freaked out by it well, he blames her. He says yeah. it's not you, and she was like, "That's the point." He totally, he totally takes a, you know, no. Again, there's no accountability. It's not him. It's not. Oh, your shoes are bothering me because I had a bad experience with that. It was, you know, oh, it's not you. You know, don't wear them, or you know, I don't need this. It, it you know, he totally he blames her. He takes away any, you know anything that he might be feeling and he puts it on her, which was part of the problem. That's what he kept doing. You know, she was like a garbage can. I do think they did a decent job of having her still challenge him though, because she would bring up certain points that would make him think about, you know, what he was doing and the fact that, you know, it was all me, 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 me with Holden. And she even says, you know, you need to let me study and stuff like that when she's trying to get an assignment done literally for the next day, which, you know, anyone who has gone to college or, you know, even finished high school knows how that feels. (laughs) So it was just one of those things where he was so ignorant to everything around him that didn't involve him. You know, he even went to Bill's house and, you know, tries to talk to the son as if, you know, the son would sort of magically just talk to him when he doesn't talk to his parents. Oh, yeah. He he thought he was God's gift to behavioral science. Yeah. Um, He did. And that was what was interesting about also a lot of his interactions with Wendy because Wendy has that whole arc about how, you know, Nobody knows who she really is. There's no indication that she told them that, you know, she she's a lesbian. There's no indication that, you know, they know anything about that. And what was interesting is, I can't remember which episode, but it's early on. It's before you find out that she's dating someone. Um, and you you there's something about, there's something Holden does that you look at the two of them and you're like, oh, he's going to date her next kind of thing. Because, like, Debbie's not interesting in him anymore. It was, and it was something about, it was body language based, not, like, 
dialogue based. But and and there is there's a promo photo where he's like reaching for her knee. Um, and I that that whole thing was really interesting because once Wendy moves there to moves from Boston to to work there full time, she becomes so much less like it's it's about the work which is what was important and so while like she enjoyed talking to them when she first met them on a theoretical basis it was so interesting watching her become a little disenchanted with that because the fbi operates in this very like clinical you know it's a space that she doesn't really know how to live in because that's not that's not academia you know and she's coming from a very academic background and it was interesting watching her start to get like irritated or like when when bill gets the other office and holden's like left outside you know with greg um he's mad about it if you notice when when bill was his plaque is being put up like on the side of the door and holden is like mad that like his space is out there you know, he doesn't he doesn't get an office because he's not senior enough or important enough, you know. And I feel like that's part of where some of the like acting out came from, too, because he was like, well, I'm going to show them that I'm better than all of them. And he wasn't. And that was what was it was it was super. It, there, there was almost a visceral aspect to watching him come to terms with the fact that, like, you're not so great, Holden. <laughs> like, you're a human, you know? yeah. Plus, you have Wendy and Bill, who seem to be way more level-headed than he is, so they They were the adults. (laughs) They were adults 100% of the time. Yeah, and it really feels like they sort of helped balance out his character, even though it took two of them to do it. I think that's fine, because you have Holden as really the main figurehead of this task force or whatever you want to call it because they don't quite call it the BAU just yet. I think they call it the BAS or something like that. So even the team name isn't solidified yet and they're still really figuring out a lot of the terminology. I did catch that they used the term unsub, which is unknown subject for anyone who didn't happen to catch that. And I was like, okay, here we go. They're really sort of starting to get a hang of at least the terminology, but terminology isn't necessarily what's going to make a case for you. So they still have to figure out the entire psychology behind it. And that's in part why Wendy is there, because that's really her area of expertise and Holden seems to think it's his but it's really not and right well that's where Debbie played into it too the sociology and the psychology aspect of it he doesn't I mean he even said like that's he went back to school which was actually really funny I actually really like those scenes um he you know but he he it reminded me of the like like oh I took a couple of psychology classes people kind of thing like he went back to school but he didn't you know he didn't do it officially he took a couple of classes he didn't graduate with a degree in you know sociology or you know one of the things that like actually we've kind of been like glossing over is is you know Debbie was working on her PhD and and Wendy had a PhD you know she was Dr Wendy Carr so there there's an element to it that you know Holden is around these people and actually there is that really funny line where you know he's like I'm not you know 
I, I don't feel like emasculated by being around, you know, intelligent women. And Debbie's like, he actually means that. It was interesting because I think he felt like uh, it's the same way he felt like he knew how to talk to these serial killers. He felt like just being around it made him smarter. But that's not how that works. <laughs> You know, it, there's a reason it takes, you know, it, he knows he, he, he had to get into the FBI. It's not, you know, it, it, these things take time and education and stuff like that. Even Bill said he was like, I go, you know, he, he had been doing the like the road school for uh, like a, a while at that point. And mm-hmm. he even told he taught Holden. He was like, know your audience, you know. Holden, you know, he, what was it was interesting to watch him leave behind this like over eager like I'm learning so much you know newbie agent because you kind of wanted to believe he was still that person you know there's there's that first scene when he's talking to Ed Kemper and he's like he's sitting on the table and he has his hand you know on his on his chin because he's just so interested and he can't like he can't contain how interested he is and then to to you know have that scene put put like subverted in the last episode where, you know, he's sitting at the, you know, at the interrogation table and he gets the guy to talk about everything by using Ed's words. It was, it showed how damaging this whole experience had become for him specifically because everyone else seemed to be able to, well, I don't know if, if, if Greg could really have handled it. I think he was pretty disgusted. He probably shouldn't have done any of it, <laughs> you know. He, well, he was—it was nepotism. He was hired because the the director, you know, like owed his father a favor or something. It was, you know, I I, I don't think he, I don't, you know, that was that was I think the the crux of it. The Holden walked around like this work matters, and Bill did too. But the way Bill did it made more sense versus like the way Holden did it and. Greg, you could kind of see why he started to get like upset and frustrated. I mean, the whole the whole tape thing was its own. That was an issue. It was always an issue. I mean, that's why when he turns it off in the final episode, you're you you know, it's it's not a good tactic. It was never really working. Holden just thought it was. Yeah, you mentioned Greg there, and it's one of those things where. You can't really tell if he even wants the job. And when Holden walks into the classroom and, you know, Greg takes the headphones off very quickly, Holden sort of makes this remark like, are you sure you still want to do this? <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. You also mentioned Bill telling him to know his audience. And the downside to his character personality in that way is he thinks everyone should be able to understand this just because he does. And that's really not how literally anything works. So, you know, you have these cops who work differently than the FBI does as a whole, because, you know, FBI has different procedures, they handle different cases, and they aren't, you know, really getting down in the dirt with these everyday criminals that the cops are used to seeing. So they are going to have a very different perspective on any killer in general. And to them, just because someone kills more than one person doesn't really make them a special kind of person in their eyes. They're still, you know, a scummy criminal. And that can be said for 
all of them anyway, whether or not it's the FBI handling it or state police or what what have you. But right, it's just one of those things where Bill telling him to know his audience in that moment, you understand more what Holden's thinking is without him having to actually tell you what he's thinking. Um, and I think that that w- you reminded me of something when the this, this series would have been impossible to watch if it wasn't for a lot of the humor in some of those things, usually it was, it was Bill actually, that was being very, very funny. Right. But there, there was a lot of, I mean, there were moments that I even found myself like chuckling and, you know, I mean, I made the really bright choice of watching it late at night at one point And I was just <laughs> sitting there. I was like, Oh my God, I'm so scared of everything for like two hours. It was just like, I was like, I'm never doing that again. I mean, I say that and then I'll watch stranger things this weekend. And I'll try too. <laughs> Um, but they like they there was there were some genuinely like in all of the like dark gritty you know perverse stuff there were some moments that were just genuinely really 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 comical and one of them for me actually was when Holden was explaining because what you remind me of is when he was talking to the students and they had him obviously like change his wording and stuff, which I thought made perfect sense because, yeah. you know, you're talking to, you know, third or fourth graders, whatever they were. And, you know, you definitely need to cater to that. And what would Holden know about speaking to children? I mean, he was speaking to cops. He didn't know how to do that in the beginning. So, you know, this was just like the next, you know, step. It made perfect sense. And uh, what was what was funny is when he was talking about it and... um he he said something about how like oh sorry girls it's just it's it's white males that this like affects or something like that mm-hmm. and it was so like it it fit with Holden's character perfectly because again we knew he wasn't like intimidated by you know intelligent women in fact he was highly attracted to it and i but it was such a funny like especially with you know there, there's so many real world elements, but just in general, even in, um, you know, you, you could even take the superhero shows and stuff like that. There's so much of that, like, oh, well, this is the, you know, predator prey hunting kind of thing. And the fact that he like narrowed it down to just that, it, 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 it especially to a group of children, like that, that was really, really funny to me. Same thing. Wendy, Wendy has the best line and I wrote it down because it, it happens in, I think, episode two or three when we first meet her um when bill introduces her to us and um she she you know they uh they were talking about um i forget if they were talking about nixon or whoever they were talking about but he says uh, bill says how do you get to be president of the united states if you're a sociopath and wendy says you have to be and it was so There were so many elements like that where it was just, there was, it was fascinating that, like, here's all of this stuff that takes place in the 70s. And like we've said, you know, it's all, it's all true. It all happens. I mean, the first thing that circulated and you even sent it to me was the the, the actual tapes of Ed Kemper. Yeah. And, And then you have these, like, really meta moments where it's like, well, this could have happened, like, right now. Um, and, and I, it worked so well because otherwise the series was so depressing and so scary. Um, it, mostly just cause it gets inside your head exactly how it's supposed to. Um, but it, it, that, that was, that particular, the, the humor, I, 
so rarely does that work in something like that. Usually it like takes you out of it and you're like, Oh, okay, good. I'm glad they made a joke that really broke it up. But, um, you know, like the, the walking dead is a really good example. It has that problem. It can toe the line of like sarcasm, but usually it's like shoehorned in, in between some other stuff. And you're kind of like, that was really funny. I'm going to see that repeated 800 different places. But it's not, it doesn't really fit anywhere in the series. This, this became, it's, it, it became part of, you, you learned to expect it. If something really difficult was happening, you knew, like, Bill was going to have, like, a line, you know. Um, they, there's that, they, he makes a joke about the car at one point, too. Yeah. You know, so they, 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 I think they did that really, really well. And I, I think it was, it helped too. Like again, with Holden watching him, you know, talk to children, you know, and, and that was also what was funny. He thinks he's so smart, but you're, you're talking, you're, you're at a career day. Like you're in, you're telling children to watch out for their friends if they're, you know, hurting dogs, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. But again, it goes back to what Wendy said about how they, the sample size was not, they, there were so many other people to talk to that they hadn't gotten to yet. And so, you know, these profiles were exceedingly limited. It was like, they didn't even really have a sample size because four people is, you know, just four people. That's not a whole lot in general. That's not even like a group necessarily i would think you would have to get at least into the double digits to start making more connections and like you said with the humor i think what was good with that too was they didn't overdo it and they didn't necessarily need it to be verbal humor all the time like you have holden talking to the kids but it was more in the humor was more in his face than what he was saying and you know, I want to wrap it up here soon, but I do want to note that they just really struck a good balance of everything, whether it was having us pay attention to the setting, paying attention to the character personalities, getting that humor slipped in there just enough to sort of break up the subject matter. And you even have, you know, the killers making jokes here and there, which yeah, I think not that that necessarily helps you break up that you know serious tone that they have going because when the killers make jokes it's totally different because you're like why are you joking about this you are in jail and that just adds sort of more to how the killers think and they did a very good job and you brought up those tapes which I actually haven't watched those I don't know if I want to watch those but I don't know if I can two people have tagged me in different stuff because they like they know that like i like the show yeah and I I don't I don't know I mean I I I know that um I I came into the series after watching Netflix's um Dateline parody American Vandal which is very funny okay and so I like the, the whole thing of that is that it's about this high school kid who's a serial dick drawer and what's funny about it is that it just it uses every like possible dateline thing that you could think of I mean I was really really laughing so I, I went into Mindhunter like oh okay so I've I've had that and now let's take a more like serious note and I think that I I I I feel like I don't, I don't need the real world element. I don't need to see the real Ed Kemper say the things that we saw Cameron Britton say, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't need Fincher's script to come to life like that. I'd rather read the book 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that has a little bit more of like a, like a learning element to it, but yeah, I, they were so terrifying in the, the scripted nature. I, I can't imagine what it was like to actually sit there in that room and, and hear these actual people speak like that. Um, especially, you know, not even considering, you know, obviously due diligence is due to what they did, but the way they talked about it and, and the way they came to certain conclusions, like in Ed Kemper's case, he was caught because he wanted to be. But in Brutus's case, he didn't see any issue with, you know, keeping like a trophy. Right. It, considering the nature of the trophy. But still, they, there, there were so many, you know, and that's where the, the, they were merely building the idea of what this type of person is, which is what makes the, the BCK killer so interesting because that's where they're going to use all of their skills. Especially because that's not what season two is going to be about. Right. And I did want to bring up season two because yes. it, they recently announced that it's going to follow the Atlanta child murders. And that in itself, because it's children, I feel like that will bring a whole new tone to the show that's maybe even darker than what we had this season. Because this season, there were some killings that happened, but there weren't too many. They were more so talking to people who had already been put in jail for these things. So they weren't really hunting too many people down. And I don't know how they plan to do that with the Atlanta one, if it'll be them hunting the guy down or if it'll be them trying to understand him like they were with Ed Kemper and Brudos. But either way, I think whenever you have children involved, it's going to be a completely different tone and not necessarily topic, but I think Holden is going to have a lot more to learn with how to handle this because you're talking about kids. And from what we saw, he's not super great with kids, but he's not the worst with them either. So it's something that he's sort of just lukewarm on, I would say Mm -hmm. right now. And he could learn. He has a redemption thing that he needs to get to. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, he, it'll be interesting because I would imagine that type of like interview post catching the person is even more difficult to, you know, listen to. I mean, some of the people they spoke to, they were, they were hurting young girls. You know, I think the last one, she was like 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, we got a taste of that a little bit. I also thought it was interesting really, really quickly, but they're, there was a there was a small throughway about like the sense of justice and i feel like that's kind of where holden started to teeter on like well we have to learn to handle these differently mm-hmm. because when you had the um when you had the the guy who it was the brother-in-law the brother and the sister they all yeah. did it um they he was they they charged the the technical i guess the profile the guy who fit the profile of the serial killer and not everyone else because that was the easiest way to like you know get the justice system had its own problems and i i that is definitely something that i think is it was really really interesting because that was the only time where you were like yay they caught oh no wait that's not fair yeah Uh, um and i feel like that's kind of where holden started to become very like 
all right, well, if if this is how it's going to be, if these are the kind of people we're going to be dealing with, then we have to we have to be we have to know what we're doing. Um, you know, and and I feel like that's where he got like way too over involved. Um which was interesting because that's where a lot of like the word choices of the way these people speak was brought to light too by Wendy, because she mentioned that she said splattering or splashing, splashing, um, in, you know, present tense. So it'll, I, I feel like having a, a present tense type of serial killer thing will be very, very, very interesting to watch because it's in that case, it's not, Holden's not great with like victims families and stuff like that either so it'll be really interesting to watch how he sort of learns how to do that it's scary that he's better with the serial killers than he is with the people who you know are like actual humans i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you know aren't serial killers i guess (laughs) you know um i i like that the series began and i think this is a good place to sort of like head into the end it began with you know what uh, Bill asks it, and it's the one that's in all of the promos. You know what? What makes someone? What makes people kill each other? And I feel like the series did a really good job of not just like attempting to answer that question, but push the boundaries on that all the way into the end. You know, especially ending the, it with the BTK killer, um, BKT, whatever. I keep confusing it. Um, <laughs> he, he, he uh, you know, because we never actually saw him do anything. We just saw him looking like he was going to do anything, something. And that was part of the, you know, the, the, the motive based aspect of it, you know, okay. So he fits this, this creepy profile. I mean, I still think it's funny that a lot of people thought that was Holden. <laughs> people did. That's why I was like motivated to write about it. Cause I was like, it's not him. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't become a serial killer guys. It was just one of those things too, though, where it was, a nice break in the action to just right. sort of see this person that a lot of people probably weren't aware right away that he's BTK, but BTK did work at a security company. Yep. And it might have even actually been ADT for all I know, because that was probably, you know, that's still around. That's one of the main home security places. Right. So, you know, he's never given a name. He's always just the ADT guy in this. And that's even what he's listed as in IMDb. He's the ADT serviceman. Someone says his name at one point. I yeah. have to go back, but there is one person who he says his name because he like won't let him take the like tape or whatever. He needs to fill out a form. Oh, and yeah, yeah, goes, yeah. Geez, Dennis, like, you know, la, la, la. So they were giving you the clues, which right. is why it was funny that everyone thought it was Holden or a lot of people did. That was that was the big thing I noticed. Um, but yeah, the, the, it was funny because we do, we get a name, but you're not thinking about him. In fact, I remember the first time they showed him, I'm like, but this isn't our people. I'm yeah, <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything right now. Yeah, exactly. Especially that first scene. You're like, I care why. I mean, it's such a Fincher thing to do. Yeah. To be like, oh, okay. So here's this other plot that we're not going to talk about for, you know, who knows how long. It's a mystery we get that the characters don't even know about (laughs) yet. Right. And and I think that that but that's where I feel like the the choice for season two also is like really good because a lot of this stuff is happening in real time. That's partially what motivates them to be like, well, we need to find out why these past people did it, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I don't want to get too much into season two speculation right. because all we really know is Atlanta. And that's sort of what we've been given so far. And, you know, with all of these Netflix shows. We know they're filming. They're filming. They started. So 2018. some. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different ways they can go, too, because just because oh, they yeah. announced that it's going to have to do with the Atlanta child murders doesn't mean they aren't going to have these side stories continuing. So we don't really know where they're going to go next season with the BTK killer or if he's going to ever be introduced to any of the characters next season or anything like that. There's just so many unanswered questions after this first season. And I think they didn't really leave us with a cliffhanger necessarily, but there's just so many different things they could do going forward. And I've heard that, you know, the creators have five seasons outlined for this show. I don't know if, you know, they have that all completely planned out or if it's just, you know, some rough ideas right now. I, like I I said, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, you know, time and research and you have to really pick people who are going to, fit with what you're trying to accomplish like they can't go through every single serial killer that these actual fbi agents talk to because that would probably be way too much for the show but it gets tedious too it starts to look the same yeah and i just want to wrap this up with some you know general feedback on the show it seems like you and i both enjoyed it a good amount but was there anything you think you know you were unsure about going into the show I know for me like I said it started a little slow but then it really picked up and kicked into gear and you really understood what was going on I was really concerned about the the subject matter the treatment of I mean we're we're talking about I mean these victims themselves were you know humiliated on top of everything else but I was really concerned about the the way it would discuss you know these these well some of them were rapes some of them were assaults um I'm and I was I wasn't sure how they would be able to toe that line with like okay we're we're discussing something that's like really really like it's a difficult subject in the sense that you know you're going into a series knowing that this is what's going to happen and that's hard because so many other things are about you know like oh well we have to change the way we speak about rape culture and all of this stuff and I was just I was a little concerned how you know these two men were going to handle that type of um context because there's an there's there's the victim aspect and then there's the you know there's the way like ed spoke about his victims and i was a little worried that they would get first of all i was i was 100 percent worried there were going to be like actual scenes and i i wasn't sure how i would handle that if that was the case i wasn't sure if i was going to turn it off or keep it on because i don't i don't think that i think hollywood needs to learn that like you don't need to do that uh you know all the time ever um I think that there are better ways of, of showing the, yeah, showing, showing that that's happened. Yeah. And I think that the show did a really, really, really good job of, um, you know, I actually texted a bunch of friends that I was like, so it deals with this, but also there are pictures of dogs because I wanted them (laughs) to know that like, that's it. Like, that's not 
like it's it's not like that like especially if they wanted to watch I didn't want them to think like oh my gosh I'm gonna have to watch you know 10 episodes of you know horrible things happening to animals which is arguably you know a lot more difficult for more people because we all have them so like I you know I I was definitely there was a big concern going in um, especially because given the setting of the series I wasn't sure how involved you know I, I came in with very little context. I didn't know about Wendy before any of this. So I I wasn't sure how, you know, women would be treated in the series outside of being, you know, a victim. And and I will say that the whole scene, the scene stuff in her apartment, they do bother me because I don't know if they're setting up something bad to happen to her um, because they are taking some creative license with the, the true aspect of these stories, yeah. or if they're just using the pervasive, like, let's be creeped out by everything and everyone, and oh my gosh, the little kitten she fed went missing. <laughs> so, you know, I, like, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'll be curious to see how they handle it. Fincher's good at that. He has had some issues in the past, but I mean, I will, you know, Gone Girl is fantastic. It's like one of my favorite movies. So he, I feel like it's in the right hands. And I feel like, I feel like it got such mixed reviews. I mean, people liked it, but a lot of people didn't. I saw a lot of people when I started watching it on Twitter being like, oh, I quit after like a couple of minutes. And it's like, what? You missed the best parts. Um, so I I think that it, I, I think they're aware a little bit, which is nice that they, they, they were aware when they went into it too. So I'm less nervous about like what a season two might do, especially dealing with like children and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, there were definitely reservations. I wasn't sure. Like I said earlier, there's 101 ways this could have gone so, so wrong. Um, and a major part of that is the way they handled the, the, the victim stories and stuff like that. And I think that if there was any part of it that made it unwatchable for people, it wasn't that. And I think that that's a huge... Like they, they deserve a lot of credit for that because, you know, there there are just as adept people that take on just as difficult, you know, stories, and they, it just it goes horribly wrong. Um, this this didn't do that, you know. This kept us invested in the characters that we were supposed to be invested in. You know, he yeah. didn't walk out and go, "Oh, I really like Ed Kemper." <laughs> you know. He, you have a problem and you should probably go see someone if that's the case. Um, right. But, but it, you did, you, you know, you, the, you left the series, you know, and I, and also to the credit, I think that they did a really good job with the panic attack. I think that sometimes these shows like go for more drama than they need to. Right. But I think that they, I think it felt very, you, they did it right. Cause I know my heart was racing. I was like, Oh my God, he's going to kill him. And you knew he wasn't. Cause that's not, that wasn't, that would be a little too much Liberty with yeah. what actually and, happened. And Holden didn't fit the, his, his type. It wasn't yeah. that it was, it was learning that, you know, you're just a man. These people are just men. You're not smarter than them. You're not, you won't be. Um, that's what makes them scary. Um, and I, and I think watching him, you know, just totally fall apart really did a lot of justice to everything else you watched because it's actually the kind of series that I would definitely rewatch. And that's very rare for like a Netflix show for me. Right. Um, because knowing what, you know, it would be interesting to watch, you know, it was frustrating to see Holden, you know, becoming the person he was. And I feel like rewatching it, you would see that frustration start even earlier, uh, you know, but then, you know, you know, there's, 
there's there's hope I guess um <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and I and I think that the series did a really good job of you know making sure that you know I finished it and I wasn't like I need season two right now but I right. was like okay I'm glad there's a season two I would have been okay if that was it I I totally understand the kind of like what they were trying to do but the fact that it's not was like a huge relief like that there's more it's great because all of these characters are definitely worth you know keeping up with you know and and it'll be nice to see them do more and it'll be nice to watch you know Holden try and figure out this you know how to do this because he doesn't know how we don't either which is what was interesting yeah he's our eyes and ears into it you know it's this it's the it's that whole thing of being like oh okay serial killers are really fascinating but you know when it comes down to it you know if all you watched were those kind of shows and not like procedurals are totally different which I also thought was really good they really rejuvenated that procedurals don't really work unless they're like an older series like like CSI and stuff like that people don't really take to them anymore and I think that you know they the show gave that format a shot in the arm that it needed because stuff like this is always interesting it's fun to watch you know the good guys catch the bad guys. Yeah. Just because the creators have, you know, five seasons outlined too, doesn't mean that we'll necessarily see five seasons of this. And right. I know some people, when I saw the news posted in some of the, one of the forums that I frequent, you know, not everyone wants five seasons of this. And that's totally understandable because it's a heavy subject. But right. I do want to hit a side note quickly here before wrapping this up. Jonathan Groff was on the Watch podcast with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald over at The Ringer, and it was a fantastic conversation because they do dive into things like what was it like playing this type of character and having to interact in certain ways with, you know, these killers and getting to know these killers, not only the actors who are playing them, but the killers themselves to really understand and play the part well. And they just did a fantastic job. They're great at interviewing people. One day, I hope I ask as brilliant of questions as they do. So (laughs) I will link to that. I'll link to the videos on the off chance that anyone wants to watch those. And Julie, I know you have some articles on Mindhunter, whether you finish them or coming up. So I'll definitely link to your hidden remote profile there so people can check those out. But I'm very glad that you and I are largely on the same page with this because for the most part, I feel like I've seen people liking the show and thinking it was well done. But I know not everyone is going to feel that way. And that's the same with any show, basically. But I think this one more so because of the subject matter, it could be very hit or miss for some people. But I just want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course, I'm sure we could have gone on longer, but I have, (laughs) you know, things to get ready for here. So when season two comes out we'll probably have you back on and of course we still have captain america civil war to discuss so you will be back soon i will looking forward to it as am i and of course to our listeners as always thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day